this episode, we are joined by Clifton Evers. Clifton is a lecturer in media and cultural studies at Newcastle University and founding member of the Shadow Places Network. Clifton discusses how reading Raywin Connell forced him to reflect on his own lived experience with and performances of masculinity and sent him down a research path that both builds on and complicates many of Connell's foundational concepts. Thanks for joining us again, Clifton. Uh, thanks for having me. We're here today to talk about Raywin Connell. And I have to say, it's nice to talk about a scholar who is still alive and producing research, which is the exception on this podcast. And I'm just hoping you could get us started by telling us a little bit about who Raywin Connell is, and perhaps more importantly, what is she more widely known for? Raywin Connell <laughs> is pretty much everywhere if you come to talk about things to do with gender, particularly in gender studies, and more specifically, very, very popular if we go into critical masculinity studies, produced a lot of research and writing that everyone still draws on. Was writing in the 70s, late 70s, and then the 80s and 90s. Moved a little bit away from masculinities more generally now, but still is relied upon. Her theories are still relied upon across lots and lots of different fields. And I mean, I still rely on Connell's fields particularly known for concepts such as hegemonic masculinity and sort of the plural notion of there being multiple masculinities. So you've already mentioned that Ray Wynn is, is widely read in gender studies, especially in studying masculinity, but do you also have a sense that she's read across other disciplines? And I know in your own work, you straddle a number of different fields, so you're well positioned. To yeah, I straddle, I do work in sports studies, in media studies. I'm currently looking at work in terms of the relationship between men and the environment, particularly in regards to petrochemical industry and leisure studies. So yes, most times that I'm reading material in those fields or speaking to other researchers doing work in them, if you mention that you're sort of doing something in regards to men and masculinities, that Connell's name is going to come up and Connell's theories are well understood. And every time I get sent uh, articles to peer review or I read books, Connell's probably 80% of the time you're going to get Connell's work cropping up. If not dominating the conversation, it's proved really robust. She's proved uh, to have a lot of robust concepts and theories. That how impressive this is, right, for a living scholar to be so widely read. And as you pointed out in your own experience and my own experiences, if you send out an article at all related to masculinity or the larger study of gender, you're probably going to get someone to push back and say, hey, remember Connell, why aren't you engaging with her? I've tried to get away from Connell so many times, try and move in directions and, and move in with different theorists, and I always find myself back at Connell. Even when I want to disagree, I tend to find myself later going, I move away thinking I've got a strong critique, only to come back and say, well, actually, uh, Connell's work stands up against that critique. So I have, so it's been really, really productive and helpful. And it's been productive and helpful in, even in terms of teaching masculinity, uh, both within the university system and in classes, seminars and lectures. If 
but also outside because I think Connell's theories and concepts, if you they they're not frightfully difficult to explain. There's complexity to them. If you break them down, people sort of get a sense and they and they make real sense to people. And they're they're quite grand theories and ideas. So and that I think that's been sort of that's been the broad appeal for people. They can use them in a lot of different settings and, and with different degrees of expertise expertise, I guess. Before we get into thinking through how you've built on those ideas or even push back against them, when did you first hear about Connell or when were you first exposed to these ideas? Well, I was doing my undergraduate degree in Australia and, and I did, had, didn't, it was interesting because like, okay, I finished high school and I didn't actually go straight to university. I spent 10 years doing various laboring jobs, production jobs, factory jobs, etc. more than 10 years actually. And, and then I went back and I did my undergraduates and sort of the arts and humanities. And I just found myself drifting towards certain gender studies, feminist theory, cultural studies sort of work. And then I went to write a, my final year dissertation. And, I, and somebody just offhand said, have you read the work of Connell? And I said, who's Connell? <laughs> and they were sort of a bit dumbfounded because this was sort of, sort of late 90s and Connell's work was pretty well known by this stage and I went away and read Connell's work started to read it and started to go oh oh okay (laughs) she's saying a lot of the things I've been trying to think through and really opened some doors for me so I heard it during my undergraduate degree and I started to make use of her work and then in my PhD that's when I really started to sort of get buried into Connell's work. Um, I particularly, I come from a world, the surfing world and surf lifesaving world, and this is a very predominant culture in Australia, and there is the sort of iconic Australian male it's, for a long time was tied to this sort of stereotype of the beach-based male uh, and certain masculine traits and Connell happened to have written this really wonderful life historical account of the lifesaver back in 1990 (laughs) and I read that and I went whoa it's like (laughs) Connell was writing my story so it was really powerful for me and uh, that really gave me an entry into thinking more about masculinities and, and gender studies and gender theory. So this was one of those cases where it simply just clicked for you. You didn't have to labor through figuring out what a particular passage means or do all that work to think about how it could connect to your life. It, it, it just happened? This one just worked for me. Like there are others, <laughs> other theorists, French theorists, etc., which were far more different, came from a far more different world to me uh, and were using quite different frameworks. But I think because Connor was from Australia and was a writing from a similar context and and had uh, studied groups of men that were basically just like me. Um, I She wrote about them in a way and with a language that I could really connect with. And there's a clarity to Connell's writing, I think. Um, and particularly, I was particularly enamored with, with the life histories uh, work that she used to do. So she went on to write sort of masculinities and more text, sort of uh, textbook type 
stuff. Um, but that initial work, definitely, I, I sort of, it was like being told certain stories about masculinity that you could then go into and you could start to unravel and you could start to, they gave you an entry into telling your own story. And then from that, you could start to unpack that. And, and there was a real perfect example of how that could be done. And, and it was a very clear way that that could be done. And, and, that, and that was sort of liberating for someone who, who didn't really know where to start in the first place. Was there a particular quality of the analysis that really influenced you, or, or perhaps a, a different way to word it would be, is there a particular aspect of Connell's theories or theorizing that has really stuck and had an influence on you? I think the biggest influence for me from Connell's work is the idea that there being multiple masculinities. I, like, I grew up in a quite conservative household, uh, quite conservative community, and there was sort of a way to be a man. Uh, there was a certain, we didn't even use the term masculinity, right? Like there was a way to be a man and you were sort of born to be that way and there were people, certain men to look up to and that was the direction you were going to go. And, uh, and you knew some other people were a little bit different but you didn't really pay too much mind to that. And then, then Connell comes along and says, well, actually, there's multiple masculinities. They're culturally contextual. So there are other ways. There are other values and practices. But, of course, these are all, importantly, are all in power has a lot to do with this. So there's a lot of power relations. Uh, so the idea that there are multiple patterns and there's a sort of hierarchy, if you like, that is the hegemonic masculinity, which is sort of, that sort of male dominance with certain traits which are privileged, be they sort of like racial traits or sort of sort of dominant traits or individuality or competitiveness, whatever the case may be. And then you've got other traits and values such as for complicit masculinity where you sort of can never really achieve or get near that hegemonic masculinity, but you are not going to push back against it because you get a lot of privileges from it as well. And then she talks about sort of other marginalised masculinities and subordinate masculinities. So it's, it's that multiplicity of it uh, which opened up a complexity to masculinity that I previously didn't know much about. And then for someone who's interested in it, that's really, that's really exciting, right? You realise, hang on, there's lots to learn here and there's ways to – and then that, as soon as you know there's multiple, ways of doing masculinity, you start to say, well, then I can change things. It can be done differently. It doesn't have to be set this way. And if this way is unethical, there's, a, there's, there's other options, but then you can go out and see what are they and how can I push back against some of these, the way these sort of troubling traits and, and problematic values get embedded in institutions and that. So, yeah, it's sort of... It was both exciting and sort of terrifying because it suddenly got really comp complex. But, the, but it also, that complexity also opens up opportunities. I, think. I really appreciate how in talking about the way that it forced reflection, you, you frame it as also leading to the potential or the opportunity for change to occur and change for the better. Because I know in my own experience encountering theory across the social sciences and cultural studies, whether... I don't know, geography or sociology or gender studies. Sometimes when we read about inequalities in power, it's demoralizing. It seems even more set. It seems, uh, I mean, it makes me even more pessimistic. Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't give me hope for change. People have read Connell in that way. Um, like Connell 
talks writes a lot about hegemonic masculinity and a lot of people talk about hegemonic masculinity and they construct it as this negative construct. And then they start to construct sort of typologies as this type of masculinity and this type of masculinity and this type of masculinity. And I used to think, and that was one of my critiques of Connell from the outset, I said, oh, life's a little bit complex and fluid than that. But I think we're being a bit disingenuous about Connell's work. Connell, for me, later I started to realise, hang on, yes, there are certain patterns that emerge. There are multiple masculinities, but, you know, the fact that Connell is opening up that that possibility of, of doing things otherwise, that's not entirely negative. This is, this is sort of, it's like opening a, it's a crack in the armor, so to speak. <laughs> and it's, it's up to us to sort of push through and say, okay, what can we do with this? How can we break this armor a little bit more and, and be productive about this and not just sort of come up with these sort of quite critical readings of masculinity all the time. Which is, which is often how Connell's work is used, I think. People sort of say that it's just used in this very critical capacity. But I think there's a bit of hope in Connell as well. It might be just what I bring to the reading, but this is what theory is, right? Theory, <laughs> theory is there. We all get something different from it. That seems like a perfect point to transition into talking about some of your own work. So how has Connell had influence as you've, as you, as you've conducted your own research projects? How have you drawn on those ideas? I mean, the first thing that Connell made me look at is myself, how some of the things I was aspiring and those around me were aspiring to were highly problematic and led to the oppression of others. And that's a pretty powerful move. And then once you, then when you start doing your own scholarly research, and I, and I do abide by this sort of ethos of writing through oneself, and then through oneself one can get start to connect a wider structures and institutional practices and oppressions etc but it does it's a way into that sort of more general discussion and then in doing so i started to sort of map okay what are those dominant values practices traits orientations sort of bodies i guess and then i sort of started going okay now that i have a sense of what are being margin was being marginalized what is dominant what are the ways that different groups are being complicit in these power, with these power relations because they get certain privileges from them, from them, including myself? Um, and I started saying, okay, well, how do I, how, how do we start to challenge these? So it was a really effective mapping device um, from the get-go. Connell provides quite a, it's quite a neat theory, if you know what I mean. Like you can sort of start to look for patterns, and there's a sort of clear hierarchy that is set up. So it's quite structural. But then for my own work, for my own work, because I was taking a particular approach of writing through myself and, and writing from, from within the midst of, of negotiating multiple masculinities and demands, I started to find that neatness start to slip away. And I realised that things were really fluid for me. I was more confused than ever. And then it started making me realize, well, masculinity never falls into any types at any real at any stage. Um, that to, to identify types or patterns, I have to be somehow view masculinity as an object rather than as something really lived from moment to moment, from situation to situation. So I started to adapt the theory somewhat. 
I started to move into sort of more what I call a stylistic account of masculinities. So I start to not see hegemonic masculinity as a type or even a clear pattern. Um, I start to sort of look at how in a particular, across certain situations, we get sort of dominant or, or, or privileged values and practices which crop up again and again and again. But in each situation, they may be employed or they may not. They'll have different degrees of influence or they may or they may not be valued in another situation. So it requires ongoing adaptation to the situation. So it gave me some guidance, but I started to sort of be very wary of the way people pick up Connell and start to say, well, there's these different types of masculinities. I, I sort of see masculinity as far more fluid and nuanced than that. This might be an impossible question, but I feel like the answer will reveal something about how theory is used. And what I'm wondering is, do you offer, do you see yourself as offering more of a critique of Connell's work and providing a correction? Is it more that you're building on a foundation she provided? Or does it always have to be this combination of the two? Or perhaps there's the option of critiquing other people for how they've used Connell's work. And, and I don't think there's an easy answer, but I'm curious how you see your role. I think I was. Bit, I think my initial readings of Connell were too harsh, and I relied too much on secondary readings of Connell. And then I went back to Connell's work, and I, and particularly the life history work, and and the way she would bring out the nuance of these lived experiences of people, and these men, and she was trying to get at that complexity and that and that movement. And then I think what happened was becomes very easy to sort of abstract into sort of very clear-cut patterns and types and hierarchies, etc. And I mean, to be fair, Connell does use some of those that some of that terminology, such as patterns, and does mention the word types a few times, and and does mention hierarchies, etc. I just use a quite I just started using a quite a, a little bit different language because I wanted to get at them. I want to sort of start with movement rather than stability because I think that opens up something for me. So I see masculinity, different form, different masculine, masculinity in itself as being more, more processes that are working to sort of block opportunities. Or So do I think I'm adding to critiquing or adding? I don't know. I just know that Connell sparked a whole way of me rethinking masculinities and whether I'm taking an opposite, I don't think I'm taking an oppositional stance. I don't think I'm necessarily even critiquing Connell. I'm just saying Connell gave me an opportunity, sparked something, and then I've gone off looking for ways to articulate the nuance and movement and complexity of masculinity in new ways. And so I think that's what theory, that's what I like theory to do anyway. I really like the way that you show how you're building on Connell's work, but in building on Connell's work, you're also providing this alternative to what Connell does. But I was wondering if, for people who have not read your work and are not as familiar with it, what do you, what do, you do? How do you? How do you avoid reifying the hierarchies that Connell provides us or just creating new typologies? And I know you're critical of other scholars who have, who have fallen into that trap. How do you, how do you avoid that? Okay, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to begin with the notion that things are not stable from the get-go. I'm start, starting from the idea that, well, the premise is movement, right? So we're always moving in our lives. Uh, 
the conditions around us are always moving, they're never settled. So there's a lot of adaptation across situations going on. Um, so I use, so you never stick with a type, right? And things never, never really cohere and, or stable and stabilize enough to be a type. You might get representations of the media which construct types, but in your lived everyday experience, it's never quite the same thing. Life is far more messy than that. So I use a sort of more stylistic model. And by style, I mean it's a more fluid manner of connecting. So depending on what, what's accessible to you at any given moment, you'll draw on certain values or you'll aspire to different or you'll practice masculinity differently depending on what you've learned in the past or what you have or, or what's, what's open to you. And you'll adapt and test it out and constantly prove yourself again against certain values and traits, but also other times you might say that's not working for me in this situation and I'm going to move away from that. So you're never really moving towards hegemonic masculinity or away from hegemonic masculinity or trying to be marginalised masculinity or fitting into being complicit masculinity. These are This is far too structural for me. And I think you sort of, if there's this ongoing process of adaptation, weighing up and deciding on the in the moment. <laughs> And depending on your privileges too, what you what you have access to or don't have access to. So I'm trying to somehow work on a way that can articulate more clearly that dynamism of life. And that language such as pattern and type tend to hide. We need a different language to articulate that. And one that gets away from the notion that, you know, masculinity is necessarily good or bad. You know, there are certain values or traits which, you know, limit the possibilities or oppress others or hurt others, but in other situations they might be useful or valuable. So we've got to sort of work through these and, and give – otherwise you get this idea that this masculinity is bad and I'm not this masculinity this masculinity is good and, 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 you know, and then people will start to say, well, I'm nothing like that one and I prefer to be like this one and it's like – it's not the types that we need to be addressing. It's certain particular practices and values we need to be addressing and be, to become better and more ethical people, right? So that's what I think we need to sort of direct our political energy at and our ethical energy at. But it's a very difficult thing to articulate because, <laughs> because it's not so neat, right? Whereas Connell's theory is quite neat and easy to model the world. But if we model the world, Modeling the world is not moving through the world. <laughs> They're two quite different things. And how do you model something when you're in the middle of it? It's not really possible. So if I'm hearing you right, in a sense, we could read the same qualities that make Ray Wynn Connell's theory so powerful and successful are also what leads to this issue, right? So it's providing this understanding of hierarchy, providing these typologies is is a useful tool for orienting our thought but then when we buy into it too much we start to reproduce those categories and we start to move further and further away from uh reality or the lived experience that's right yeah and then we, we, we then we start sort of saying well there's this hegemonic masculine this type and it's just bad and bad and bad and we we just focus on it as an object instead of saying hang on what are our lived experiences of this how does this affect these different groups of people. How do we personalize this again? How do we bring keep 
we talk about bodies, like it's like in some masculinity research, they'll talk about bodies and bodies just become objects again. We've got to write through the bodies, you know, and to write about these emotional experiences and they're, they're going to be complicated and they're going to be messy and they're going to shift from moment to moment. So we need to have a little bit of a different, we have to work on the language that we're using so we can get at that. Would it be fair to say that this is a critique that could be leveled at virtually any of the grand theories that our disciplines are built on? And I'm asking that because I'm thinking about my own experience reading Marx, Weber, Durkheim, I mean, anyone that any any name that you come up with. And it's very similar to what you're talking about, where the further you get removed from the actual text and the more you're reading how people have drawn their ideas, the more rigid and unmoving and in a, in a sense, the less nuance that they have. And so maybe there's a way to go back and read Durkheim and, and write Durkheim through our own experience. I don't know. Is that is that making sense or is that getting? Yeah. That said, there's been there's other ways of doing knowledge and doing theory. And there are other ways of doing knowledge and theory and other ontologies and epistemologies do provide the opportunity to do this differently, to work from in the middle, to from work to work from in the midst of, to be more poetic and less definitional. Be, not have definitions, move away from definitions and patterns and types. And I'm thinking here about many indigenous ways of knowing or feminist theory has really worked hard at this, you know, and, and worked through, you know, sort of poetic storytelling, you know, articulating, the, you know, through the personal, different ways of writing theory and articulating theory. I think they're there, they're already there, but I think... Uh, particularly when it comes to, say, critical masculinity studies, we're still at some distance from that and we're still really lagging in regards to that. And, and, and that, that I think that's what can help us. And, and if we keep reproducing Connell's work, it's, it's, Connell's work has opened some doors for us for sure, but I think we need to bring Connell's work into com- more into conversation with some of these uh, this other work, which will very much trouble that particular theoretical model and I think that conversation is going to be more productive than anything else. As a way of wrapping up this conversation, I'm wondering if you could think back about your experience and basically the journey you've taken with Connell, right? Going from someone who first experiencing these ideas, using these ideas in your own research, in your classroom, thinking through critiques. What would you tell someone who was first thinking about reading this work? Why would you tell them they should engage with it? You know, what's what's the point of reading Connell and, and working through her theories? I think it's really useful to read Connell's work because it can help you. It provides an initial mapping of how gender and power work. It both gets at certain at the structural way gender works, particularly, which is really helpful if you're thinking about how gender works in through various institutions it opens up conversations about how gender works with bodies which i think is is quite exciting although i don't think connell takes the bodies goes very far with bodies and particularly stops short and about when examining the relationship between masculinity and emotions but at the same time opens up that conversation so that's the great thing about Connell. Connell doesn't cover everything, <laughs> but touch it gives gives you the groundwork and then touches on, opens up certain doors, I guess, that you can then go through and explore further. Like any theorist or 
or somebody doing work. She can't do everything, right? And people, that's the problem. People expect to have this all-encompassing theory. She doesn't, but her theory does is very productive. Um, and that's the best thing you could say about a theory, right? Like her theories and concepts open up ways to, they set up a way somewhere to start and then they say, okay, now what can you do with this? And people will use it in multiple ways. The worst thing is when people take Connell's work and, and shut down conversations and you just try and create this objective model of the world. And I don't think Connell would be very happy with that. <laughs> I don't think any theorist is particularly happy with that. You know, they want to see what you can do with it and, and okay, take it, see what it does in the world. Does it change your world? Does it change other people's world? Can you come up with new ways of acting and more ethical ways of acting in the world uh, now that you've I've given you a tool to start thinking about it. That's why I would introduce someone to Connell's work. All right. That is a perfect place to end, both inspiring and critical. Uh, I like it. So thanks again for joining us today. All right. No problem. Okay. I'll see you later. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme song, undergraduate sociologists Alicia Rios and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance.